About two months ago, we sold one of the websites on our portfolio for a bunch of money. It's a mid-six-figure amount, but I'm not legally allowed to tell you how much exactly. The most interesting thing about this story is that the site was only 18 months old, and the growth curve was incredible, especially considering how competitive the industry was. Unfortunately, I cannot reveal the niche either, but what I can tell you is the exact tactics that we use to take this brand new $10 domain to a five-figure per month website in a year and a half, and that's exactly what we're going to do in this episode. Additionally, we are releasing a full case study blog post that you can find on atarihacker.com slash how to sell your business with dashes between the worlds. I know you don't want me to ramble anymore and you want me to just give you the tactics, so let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Today I am with Mark to talk about this case study because I built that site with Mark. So Mark, welcome back to, I guess, your podcast. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for welcoming me back to my podcast. Appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, so we just sold that site and finally we can talk about it. It's something that where we can't reveal exactly everything. So as I said in the intro, we can't reveal the exact niche. and We can't reveal how much we sold it for. It's just a, a large six-figure amount of money. And it is a site that was 18 months old. It was in a fairly competitive niche. And we'll talk a little bit about more niche selection in a while. But just give me your overall impression of the whole process from starting the site to selling it, I'd say, to start. It was an interesting experience, I would say. We definitely learned a lot. That was one of these situations of by the end of it, we were saying to ourselves, oh, if, if we knew what we knew now at the start, we could have done it in half the time kind of thing. So made a lot of mistakes along the way, but in general, the numbers don't lie. We did do, I think, really well, and in, especially in sh- such a short space of time, quite so pleased how it turned out. Yeah, I think it's like it's the, the value of experience, right? It's like I can see now that when we start new sites, the growth curve is like much faster than the ones we started several years ago. And I guess it is the value of experience, and, and it's something to consider for everyone that's listening. It's like you're not just building the site you're building now you're acquiring skills that you will most likely use again to start and or grow other businesses that will then really speed up the process i mean i can definitely tell the difference between when we started our agency which was our first business to starting authority size to starting authority hacker to now starting this batch of site that we're going to talk about now and i can tell that things go faster every time you know and i think that's something that needs to be taken away especially if you're listening to this like oh my god How can I make mid-six figures from just starting a site in 16 months? Probably you won't if it's your first site, right? And that's okay. It wasn't the case for us either. But it's nice to see that there's more and more growth curve happening as you gain experience. It's rewarding perseverance in this industry, which is something that, you know, people lack of patience a little bit sometimes, I would say. Let's just talk about what actually happened. So we basically started the site end of the summer of 2017. We kind of debate the dates with, with Mark, but uh, it's end of the summer, let's say. And we sold it in December 2018. So that's at the time at which we're recording. It's February 22nd today. I guess it's coming out next week. So really about two months we sold it. We got the money a little bit later, but yeah, we'll talk about that. In terms of money we invested, we invested $54,431. So that was a decent chunk of money invested in this site across the lifetime of the site. We invested most of it in content. 
We invested $38,350 in content, and we'll explain how we invested it a little bit later. And we invested $6,890 in link building. This was not to pay for links. It was to pay for staff. It was to pay for tools, etc. I know when you talk about links and dollars, people kind of associate that with, oh, you sold links, you bought links rather. It was just the, the cost of operations and content for guest posts, etc. In terms of revenue, this site made in 2018, to be frank, we didn't have the best tracking at the beginning and it wasn't making a ton, to be honest. So what I can tell you is in the last 12 months of the site, it's made $100,061 in commission and that's that the last few months were between $14,000 and $16,000 thousand dollars per month so you know if you projected that over the course of a year it was roughly projecting at one hundred and eighty thousand dollars per year affiliate commissions so it's pretty good and i've checked a little bit since we sold it uh, in the last two months and traffic has grown a bit more so i'm sure it might be you know a little bit higher now maybe between i don't know 15 and 18 is hard to tell when you don't have the analytics but it looks like it grew a little bit so that is the site. That is the numbers. Uh, I will share more of these numbers on the blog post. So if you go on otoyahacker.com slash how to sell your business with dashes in between, you can find that. You can find the tables with like how much we spent every month, etc. We're going to try to release this at the same time. So you should be able to access it right away. Do you want to talk about niche requirements maybe? Yeah. So Or not. When we were choosing this, we were, I would say, quite aggressive in how we, we approached this. Whereas maybe four or five years ago when we were starting sites, we tended to look for, I would say, easy opportunities, easy keywords. Our focus was very much on being able to acquire traffic. And then we thought, oh, we'll figure out what to do with the traffic once we've got it. I would say the key difference in our mentality this time was that we were thinking in terms of maximizing revenue. So what do I mean by that? Well, our our starting base was looking for high-paying affiliate products, high-paying niches, high-paying, as I said, affiliate products. And there's almost like a disregard for competition to an extent. That's not completely true. I mean, it's obviously competition is a factor, but I think over the years, we've gotten a lot better at link building, at producing content, at attacking these higher difficulty keywords. And so we had a little bit more confidence in our ability to compete at a higher level. And so we wanted to put that into practice and, you know, actually do that. Yeah, it's like, it's one of these things. It's like when you grow up, when you learn this SEO stuff, like you are taught to look for low competition keywords. And we do that in your toy site system. Why? Because for many people, it's their first site. They've never made money online, et cetera. And, and you should do that at the beginning because really you're not very good at the beginning, like any skill. But it's also one thing that is quite interesting. So when we were doing niche research, I was thinking about what is the essentially the function of SEO difficulty against payouts for affiliate offers, right? You know, it's kind of in math. You know, you have the x-axis and you have the y-axis. And I did the graph actually in the blog post, so go check it out. But essentially, what's happening is that the payouts grow disproportionately faster than the SEO competition. So if we're taking the same scale, the SEO competition is going to grow on a scale of 1 to 10. And the payouts will grow on a scale of one to a hundred. So even though competition rises, and it depends on the niches. Obviously, if you're going to like for flights types subs, you know, it's it's probably exponential. At the end, it just like it grows like crazy. But the middle of the curve or like the end of the the medium of the curve is is actually a much higher payout for not that much harder SEO. 
So if you're decent at this stuff, if you've done it before, if you've ranked pages before, if you've ranked websites before, if you've made money online before, it feels like there is a higher reward for going for high paying niches than trying to be sneaky and smarter. Just because with 10 times less traffic, you get paid way more. And we saw it with this site, right? I mean, you did the math. I think it was like six to eight times more value per visitor than health emission from this site or something like this. Oh, no, it was even more than that. I think it was, it was, we have in the blog post, it was like eight or 14 or something. It was really high. So it's much higher. So like, even if you struggle for traffic, it's okay. Because really like one visitor is 14 visitors of an easy niche. Overall, it just, that's what we focused on. And that's what we're doing now as advanced people doing niche research is focusing on payouts pretty much exclusively, looking a little bit at competition and within high paying niches, you know? That's basically how we do it. And the reason we were able to do that is because we are good at link building. We've been doing it for many, many years. Even before we started Authority Hacker, before we started any authority sites, we were doing this for clients in our previous business. How big was the link building team? It was like 15, 16 people or something, no? Yeah, yeah. We've really done a lot of link building over the years, a lot. That's not to say we're perfect, and I definitely feel there's some areas we can be improving on at the moment, and I'll be looking into those this year. But in general, we're we're fairly good. So that meant that in order to compete at a high level, we needed to find a niche that not only had high-paying offers, but had the ability for us to deploy our link-building tactics effectively. What do I mean by that? Well, we don't pay for links at all. Uh, I know a lot of people sort of say, oh, how do you build any links? It's it's all outreach-based. It's all by providing good content or by doing guest posting without paying a placement fee. That automatically ruled out several niches such as travel or finance. The reason being is that those two niches are synonymous with very difficult link building. If anyone's ever tried to build links to a finance site, an insurance site, a credit card site, you'll know how difficult it is because everybody is asking you for money, basically. So that was kind of another requirement that we had when we were looking for for a niche, the ability to build links. It was never going to be as easy as it was for health. Uh, So, you know, we weren't expecting that, but that's okay because it's going to be equally difficult uh, for for our competitors. Yeah. The other thing we were looking for is we have on our notes here, not a shit product. And that's kind of indicative of our attitude towards it. We hate promoting crap products. We hate promoting scammy offers, which there are quite a lot of, let's be honest, in the in the affiliate world. I'm talking here about things like diet pills or casino offers or, or, or these kind of things, which more often than not are fake or not actually helping people in any real way. So we wanted there to be some genuine value and we felt that we could do better. We could produce better content. The products which we were promoting were of high value, were legit. I just wanted to say there's there's usually that correlation as well with like high paying offers. Usually high paying offers compensate for a shit product. So it's like, I know in a blog post, I put the, I put the hot crazy scale from how I met your mother. You know, it's like, uh, you need to be equally hot to what you're crazy for a girl or something to pick a girl. It's kind of the same for affiliate offers. You know, it's like, you need decent enough quality for the, for the payout because otherwise, otherwise it doesn't work for us. But most of the time, you find most offers that pay a lot of money are, are subpar products. And that's just the way they make up for being not a great product. It's just 
giving more money to people to push them, essentially corrupt their opinion. It is difficult when you're trying to strive for uh, high-paying offers and at the same time for high-quality products. It makes niche selection much narrower. Yeah, I would also add to that that the actual kind of direction of the niche as a whole was kind of on the upward trend. So we weren't going into the cassette player market or anything like that. We're, we looked at uh, Google Trends and we looked at the trends over our niche and it was it was growing over time. I think that's important when you're starting a site because it will take most likely several years to kind of grow it. But also from a buyer's perspective, if you try and sell the site, you're going to get a higher multiple if the if the niche is, is growing, I would say. Yeah. Another thing as well that we wanted is we wanted a niche with a lot of keywords. So really there's, there's different kinds of niches. And I actually talk quite a bit about that in the authority system. It's like there's niches with lots of keywords that are like mid-competition. And there's niches with few keywords where everyone fights for them. We are quite good at producing large amounts of content. And we'll talk about how many pages the site has, but we are better at that and kind of like competing on a lot of fronts at the same time and working on like overall site improvements versus like really battling for like one keyword, one page, et cetera. That's, I mean, if you check our sites, that's the way they work. And so once again, it's kind of like playing to your strengths, right? If you're good at the other types, then when you do your niche selection, just focus on that. If you're really good at ranking for that one keyword when you put your attention on it, then there's, there's other niches that will work really well. It's just... But when you have this experience, I think it's like finding your strengths, the same way as link building. We know which kind of link building we're good at. So we had to find a niche that fits that. Then we had to find a niche that fits the type of content we create and the type of SEO we do, et cetera. And so we kind of looked at that. And for us, that was a niche with a lot of commercial keywords that we can compete for, where nobody has enough attention to focus on all these keywords. And it's kind of like a portfolio play where you kind of like identify weak areas within that niche and kind of push what your competitors have forgotten, et cetera. And do these tactical plays versus pure brute, brute strengths force of like, I'm going to do more lean building than you. I'm going to spend more money than you type thing. I think these niches allow you to get better profit if you take smarter decisions as well, which is quite you know useful for smaller publishers. How we found the niche actually. So basically these were our requirements. Like this is what we were looking for. I talk a bit more about all of that in the blog post as well. How we found the niche, really, there's no magic here. We looked at other websites. Uh, we looked at marketplaces we looked at usually when whenever i see a good affiliate site i just bookmark it in a special bookmark and so on when i see hear about a site that has been sold etc I, I do that and one thing that i like doing as well is uh, just googling for high paying affiliate programs and there's a lot of like cool resources for that we we do have several pages on toy hacker about where we do niche research but the guys like uh, niche hack or one more cup of coffee there's a few others there's a high paying affiliate programs.com i think it's quite interesting. Basically, just, just Googling, reading this stuff, etc. you will find these niches. Uh, I'm not going to quote them, but just just go on these places and, and start reading and you'll find a bunch. So that's really how we picked the niche. It wasn't rocket science. It's just have your criteria, collect a list of niches, and then just run it against your criteria and just eliminate. And eventually, we got that niche. Yeah. We spent quite a bit of time as well looking at other niches and like really comparing them against each other. We actually followed our own teaching. So in the authority site system, which is uh, one of our courses, which we sell, we talk people through the process of niche research. And we, we literally used our own templates and our own process from that to identify this niche. We discounted quite a few and, and spent, I don't know, it was like a month or a month and a half, I think, uh, coming up with this niche in the end. 
through that part of the process. So yeah, I mean, I think one takeaway that I see a lot of people, one takeaway from this, I, I see a lot of people do poorly is they rush the niche research and they don't spend enough time and they don't discount their ideas. They're not critical enough of their ideas and they end up choosing a poor niche because they just want to get started, really. Yeah, as I said, the big takeaway for us is spend more time up front, even if it means you takes longer to get started. Yeah, I mean, one of the goals of this site was to actually apply TAS, the authorized system, the first version. When we started, we just had really the first version, basically, it, or we were finishing it or something like this. But like a lot, a lot of the stuff that was in the site was what was in the first version of the authorized system, actually. Up to like the way we did the site architecture, et cetera, like it was exactly like TAS. That included the, the niche research, actually. But, and for the tech as well. So let's go, let's go through the tech and design. Literally followed tasks as well here. And what we teach in the authorized system, if you don't have it, it's like to build your brand, you need fonts. You need a couple of colors that you use all the time. And you need a logo. And uh, I did all of that. I, I literally got logo on Fiverr, <laughs> which actually found me a designer that we use for the rest of the life of the site. So I just hired that guy through custom gigs on Fiverr to do graphics work for the site, essentially. So that is, uh, but like I did exactly what Taz had. So I think I had like five colors. I had a logo and I had two fonts and just applied all of this throughout the website. At the time, we were still using Thrive Architect, but we had actually transitioned. I think the site's using can't remember which team is Astra or Generate Press, one of these two. But it's still on Thrive Architect. We don't use Thrive Architect anymore, but at the time we, we did. And so transitioning the whole site away from it would have been a pain in the ass, so we stayed on it. Right now, like we are starting batches of new sites and we're actually so it's funny, I'm using Elementor, the theme builder, but now the theme builder is so good you don't you basically don't need a theme. So actually I found a theme, I mean the Elementor created on GitHub, Hello Team or something like this. And it's actually a theme that's a blank theme. There's literally no code in it. And so what it does is it actually reduces the amount of um, of code on your page. It just reduces the size of your pages and like less requests, less scripts, etc. Wow, that's super interesting. Do you remember like three, four months ago, uh, towards the end of the last year, we were having the discussion about this, like when Gutenberg was coming out and all these kind of what you see is what you get editors were around. We basically came to the conclusion that themes are on their way out. Yeah, yeah. So they exist actually. Um, and it existed at the time at which we talked about, just hadn't found it. But it's called Hello Theme. It's just on GitHub, right? It's not really advertised heavily. It's just like the guys at Elementor toying with the idea. And you can download it on GitHub for free. And essentially, you install it and you you just see just plain links and plain text on your site. And then you can just build all the elements with Elementor. So that's good as well because page builders, they, they, they do cost a bit of page speed, essentially. But so do themes. And what, what happens is you, you're trading off the theme page speed loss for the page builder page speed loss. So, so you're able to compete with non-page builder websites, except you have the flexibility. So it's kind of nice, actually. So that's why we're building it now. But that site was built in a Thrive Architect and just a normal theme. So we also did the nested URL structure, as I said. So really long URLs, et cetera, putting the keywords in URLs. That worked pretty well. And that also proved that uh, this kind of cyber structure can rank really well. As You can see some blood rankings on the case study posts. We don't give the keywords because that would give away the niche. But we show you how big the keywords were, 
a difficulty and what I was ranking maybe a month ago when I wrote the blog post. So you can go check that. I'll just repeat the URL of the blog post for people who missed it, otorihacker.com slash how to sell your business with dashes. Hey, got to do some SEO for your URLs, you know, so. So that's basically the tech. Can you talk about content? So for content, the niche itself was fairly broad and we positioned our site in a, a fairly broad term, in a, in a fairly broad context rather. However, we had, I think, five or six categories of the site. And initially, for the entire life of the site, we only built one, we only filled up one category. So the site was essentially about just this one thing, but it was branded kind of wider. And that's the approach which we often recommend when creating authority sites. It gives you a lot of headroom to, to grow. It allowed us to focus our link building across multiple different categories, which opened up many more opportunities. But at the end of the day, most of the content, most of the commercial content rather, was, in fact, all of the commercial content was focused around this one main category, which we, we, we'd chosen. And there are several benefits of, of doing it like that. First is it allows you to really get into a specific subtopic and really go the extra mile with your content. We became very, very familiar with the niche and with the topic ourselves. And as we went on, so did our writers and they got better and better. And the content which we we're creating and the way they were doing reviews and all this kind of stuff, it really did evolve to a quite high level, I think. I was really quite happy of we were able to, to do that. Regarding the writer we worked with, we had several writers over the over the lifetime of the site, but there was one main writer, and we ended up just hiring this person full-time from day one. We were able to do that because we had spent so much time planning the site out, and we had a big list of keywords. I think there was uh, like 100 and something on day one, which we, we had to work through. We worked with this writer and just honestly just started working through that list. And I think we ended up when we sold the site with like 240, 250 odd pages in total. Again, this was just from this this one silo though. Yeah, I think we covered a lot of it. So, and there was still more actually. I could probably have found another 60 or something, I'd say. One thing as well is we're publishing things, all the sub silos at once essentially. So like, you know, you get a subcategory of the main silo and like I'd go like on a Friday and everything was uploaded by our uploader and I would just check all the pages, but publish some days, 15, 20 pages at once, you know, all together. There was no publishing schedule. It was just like, boom, here's a whole new section of the website. And like, you know, I know that people worry about like, oh, should I publish everything at once, etc. That didn't do, that, everything started ranking right away, basically. So it's like, it, it really doesn't matter when you publish. If you don't have like a follow, if we publish 10 blog posts on Atari Hacker, it would be a different thing because like there's a following. But when it's just like a pure SEO game, then no, like it doesn't matter. Just publish everything you have as soon as you have it. Yeah, another thing which we did with, with content is we actually bought all the products in and did actual real life tests with them. That was uh, definitely a big win in terms of upping the content quality. A lot of the competitors were obviously not doing actual reviews of some of these products. They were just kind of looking at the sales page and writing super positive reviews. So actually having having done these real-life tests, we were able to provide, I would say, more balanced commentary. And you know, I, I, don't, I can't say for sure whether that helped us or, or not, but it, it certainly felt like 
the quality of our content which we're producing certainly towards the end was was well above the the industry average i think that helped the link building as well like the site was fairly decently branded and i know that i mean one thing that we were doing was uh, custom illustrations for this site and i know that like the mix of like actually testing these things in real life plus having like nice branding and from the people that were doing the link building for us, you know, I heard all the time they were like, our oh, people really like the branding and that really helped us get links and so on. So kind of like trying to be above the competition in terms of not just branding, but like feeling genuine. Like this is something that we've picked up a lot from this site, from Atari Hacker. Like when we don't like a tool, when we don't like something, we say it. I mean, we literally just say it. we don't recommend Strava Architect anymore. And that creates a trust that is hard to get in other ways. So yeah, we, we, we tried to, to replicate something similar to this site. And when we did outreach, we didn't really have a following like we have on Atari Hacker. But when we did outreach and we showed what we did to people, that had really positive replies. And despite the fact that the niche was quite competitive, we did decently at link building. And that was a helping factor, basically. Something else that you just reminded me of when you're talking about branding is we actually used a fake persona for this site. That's something which we used to recommend several years ago. Uh, we've since moved away from that. So currently on any of our courses, we will be recommending that you don't pretend to be someone else. You just, you are yourself when you're, you're online. It's just a general good life advice, you know. <laughs> the main reason why we didn't follow our own advice there was because Mark Webster and Gail Breton are no, not celebrities, <laughs> far from it, but if you Google our names, it's it's quite easy to find. It would be quite easy to find out who we are. And there are many people who listen to Authority Hacker who would unfortunately spend their days looking for our websites. <laughs> who would unfortunately probably copycat that. So we were a little bit careful on that end. It didn't make too much difference in the end. There was a, a few link building opportunities and a few things like that, which we weren't able to capitalize on in the end. But I think we made the right decision there. Yeah, and also this was the first version of the Atari site system. We commanded personas there. So once again, we really followed the first version of the Atari site system for this site. So it's like, yeah, it's not something we talk about now. Same as Strive Architect. We don't recommend it now, but at the time, this was what we used. I mean, it's good because it, this site is doing really well right now. It shows that even the old Atari site system stuff like, is still massively successful. It's not like it all died off, basically. Let's talk about links, actually. So... We really had to tackle several things with links. So we had to first get a decent amount of links to the domain in general so that we can raise the overall authority of the site. Unlike many of our other sites, this site had really good internal linking through, I cannot say why, it would be too easy to find the site. I cannot say how, but it had really good internal linking. So links to the domain in general were in just helping more because internal linking was good. So one thing that we had to do with links is essentially get high volume of links so we can rise the domain authority and just like pages rank on their own without you paying too much attention to them. And, you know, that large number of keyword strategy pans out because you have this high domain authority. One thing that you need to do is usually when you do, when you try to get large volumes of links, obviously they're not Wall Street Journal links, right? Um, like you don't get large volumes of Wall Street Journal links. So we had to kind of, also get high DR links, get links that are, you know, pulling their weight and just 
pulling the site. If you if you only do like low DR links, then you get good effects usually at the beginning of the life of a website, and then it plateaus a bit. So high DR links just allow you to fight this plateau effect. And we also had to get links to commercial pages for several because, well, it is a competitive niche. People, you know, our competitors, they just buy links. They didn't care. <laughs> so we had to find ways to get links to commercial pages. And that was just, you know, tricky when you don't actually pay for links. So the volume approach was mostly obtained through Shotgun Skyscraper, which is essentially finding pieces of content from competitors that get a lot of links replicating that, emailing people that link to them and convincing them to link to you. Mark has a full course on, on this one tactic coming out soonish, whenever we're done. So like, if you want the full, full script on this, then this is going to be released in a bit. Uh, so that was how we achieve volumes of link to domain general. Do you want to talk about that part? Basically, as soon as we started link building, I think it was like two and a half, three months after we first published content on the site it was it was first up almost as soon as we started link building we saw the traffic start to increase straight away and if you overlaid the the graphs of of links built with traffic it, it followed a sort of similar upward trend so it was really good to have those have that quick win those quick wins initially and to get feedback that what we were doing was working and you know we're just talking like a few dollars a day type thing initially but it's good to see that coming in early on if it's, it's good for morale i would say i remember we had like a big age pro launch and we made good money and then we made like a hundred bucks from this side and we were like more excited by that <laughs> than the age pro launch or anything like this that was funny actually so that essentially is the the volume of links growing domain rate domain rating domain authority that part then i'm going to jump directly to links to commercial pages because it's tied together so one thing we were doing for that is the people that would say yes to our link requests from the large volume outreach, we would pitch them guest posting. We would be like, hey, thank you for adding the link to your site. Can we also write a guest post for your site? And many people would say yes. And in this guest post, we had control over the page we were linked to. So usually when you do this, this, this skyscraper stuff, you link to informational content. You don't link to commercial content. So in this case, when we were doing a guest post, yes, it was a link from the same site, but it was a link to a commercial page. And it was a link where we had way more control over the anchor text. So these two things... Together, it was cool because it's literally like one extra email in the whole process. That's why I call link building funneling. And it gave us links to pages that are way more valuable than the info content. So that was uh, one powerful way of getting links to commercial pages and kind of like fight against people, against people that essentially do PBNs and buy links in this industry. And we did quite well. A lot of like heavily, like highly commercial queries with thousands of searches per month. We, we rank like, you know, top three with this site, so that worked quite well together. Now let's talk about the high DR stuff. And the high DR links, I mean, it's kind of a mix, but it was mostly guest post outreach to high quality sites and uh, helper reporter at Haro. So we essentially did these two and got a bunch of high DR links, but you actually managed that, Mark. So can you talk about that part? Yeah, so Haro, helperreporterout.com, it's basically a newsletter that comes out three times a day. And there's something between 20 and 30 usually opportunities and it's usually reporters from bigger sites who are investigating something and our approach was really to look at our niche and related niches and see for every opportunity on there we were say we said to ourselves okay how can we bridge the gap between our site and this i can't give you any examples obviously without 
giving the niche away, but let's just say we, we try to be as creative as possible and we tried to answer the, the queries as quickly as possible after they came out. And that got us a fairly decent number of very high DR links. We're talking some in the sort of 80s and 90s here even. It's pretty extreme. There was obviously a lot that we didn't get. It's like any kind of link building. It's a numbers game, but it's it's a good thing, I would say, to to add into your mix, particularly if you're looking to acquire very high DR links. So the other type of link building we did was just high-end guest post outreach. And there wasn't a simple single template approach we used. We tried lots of things, looking at competitors' links, where they were getting guest posts from. We tried to tackle specific queries, specific topics, and looked for guest post opportunities there. We made hit lists of sites we wanted to get guest posts on. We tried lots and lots of different things. Some of them as well, just converting skyscraper opportunities into guest posts, as as you mentioned. And there were some cases where people would say no to a skyscraper link, but then when we pitched them a guest post, they would say yes. So that was something that also worked quite well for us. Yeah. So basically, it just makes amazing opportunities. It's hard to get people to reply to you. So when they do, just get as much as you can, really. That's the, that's a really strong link building advice that not a lot of people apply, actually. Yeah. And we obviously did internal linking from these skyscraper pages to money pages, as I said, the internal linking overall on the site was really good. Let's talk about monetization now. So as we mentioned earlier, it was pure affiliate. We didn't have a product on there. We didn't have ads. It was just affiliate marketing. It was just high paying offer. No Amazon, nothing like this. Just offers that pay you a lot of money when you make a sale. Um, and out of the gate, these already pay a lot more than things like Amazon. But as we grew the sales on the site, as we were, like our traffic was growing and we were referring more and more sales to these companies, we actually managed to negotiate commission increases and, and large ones, sometimes up to double commissions. And really, the process, there's no like magic template here. It, we just approach these guys and we're like, hey, we're making a lot of sales for you guys. We're growing fast. We're interested in working together and just promoting your company long term. Would you make it worthwhile for us, please? And, and and most of the time, usually in these competitive industries, in these industries where large commissions are already paid, this is common practice and affiliate managers expect it. We got it, basically. I, I would also add that a lot of affiliate managers have a very transactional relationship with their affiliates. There's a lot of kind of incentivized rankings and stuff like that where they'll say to you, oh, if you will increase your commissions, but you have to put us, uh, you have to give us a better review or you have to put us number one in your roundup reviews, this kind of thing, which is in my view, a bit unethical. And in, I think the FTC's view, actually straight up illegal if you're sleepopolis. But, you know, so many, so many, this goes on absolutely all the time. So don't think it's not happening in in, in your niche. We were very resistant to that. And instead of kind of succumbing to the transactional relationship like that, we tried to reframe it and and sort of build a a real relationship. So Gail mentioned talking about working with them long-term and kind of we were were not one of those affiliates that's going to be a dick. Um, We want to work with you. I even met some of these people face-to-face. And I think that really helped a lot. After we were referring quite a lot of sales, I, I went and to one of their offices when I was on a trip. and Yeah, some of them were even like doing CRO advice for us and so on, like based on their stats and so on, what's working for them and really sharing interesting data with us. So they were willing to invest 
resources provided you show that you can make cells and that you show that you know some kind of lunatic in his cave, which seems like a lot of it's There were also a couple of occasions where we were actually giving them advice about their own marketing and things that they could do, they could do differently. So there was definite kind of value add being thrown around there. Yeah. So, and, and that worked really well overall. And that, you know, I share the earning graphs on the blog post. So you'll see that there is sometimes massive jumps from one month to the other. Some of it is always attributed to SEO growth. The, the traffic grew over time quite well. But many times the jumps were just renegotiated commissions as well. And that's something that shouldn't be underestimated because it's kind of like compounding together with SEO growth. If you manage to grow your traffic by 20% and you manage to, on average, increase your conversions by like your payouts rather by like 10% per month, then it really compounds to a crazy number. And the difference at the end of the year is massive. That's the power of actually not doing Amazon stuff as well, in the sense that if you go to Amazon, they'd be laughing at you. They'd be like, just just shut up. But if you do that with a smaller company, then they'll take it seriously, especially if you're generating like tens of thousands of dollars of sales, et cetera. So this is why more and more, as you become an advanced affiliate, you shouldn't just rely on Amazon. Amazon's great, but it's not the only thing to start. It's still one of the best places. That's why we still recommend it in the authority system, but you cannot do this with Amazon. So if you want to get into this like big money game, then that's the the step that I think a lot of people have to take or they need to build massive sites that make a lot of sales with Amazon. I know a couple of people that do have account managers with Amazon, have custom rates, have all of that, but we're talking about people that make you know six figures a month of affiliate commission. So it's not that many people. Let's talk about the sales process. Why did we decide to sell? So there were several reasons for this. One was that we were able to, or we wanted to get some money out, basically. Uh, In the authority site business, nothing, nothing lasts forever. Sites will go up, sites will go down. First of all, it is important to reinvest your money into, into growth, almost always. And we do that all the time as well. Yeah, We really do that a lot, uh, sometimes to our detriment. But it's also important that over time that you start taking some profit out, you realize it and you bank it. Because if you end up writing your site all the way up and then all the way down again, you're basically left with nothing. I mean, you've, you can make a lot of money and earn good income at the time. But if you're not withdrawing your winnings and you know investing it, buying a house, doing whatever you want to do with it, then ultimately, I think you're, you're losing out a bit there. Yeah. Ask your crypto friends, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, we have a mixed approach. When we first started Authority Hacker and our authority sites, we we're like, oh, let's just hold these forever. But as time has gone on, we've sort of changed that approach and it's more mixed. So some sites, we really are holding them for the long, long, long term. Think sites like Authority Hacker itself. I mean, can you imagine it's like someone else doing the podcast, you know? Like, I think it would be complicated. Yeah, Neil Patel acquires it or something. uh. (laughs) No, don't worry, guys. It's not happening. That's one thing. But on the other side of that is we are now actively thinking of we're going to flip sites. So sometimes some of the new sites, which we're starting now, they're very much built with a with a built to sell mentality so we we have the idea that we're gonna most likely flip them further down the line not all of them but something like that so getting money out was a big thing the fact that the site had such crazy fast growth was quite unique the growth trajectory especially towards the end of 2018 was was quite large and it's quite rare that a site does so well in such a short space of time. It kind of made sense at that point because it, it had 
it had gone up a lot. And after 18 months, it was at that point. It was doing really well. If we had sold the site, which we did at that point in time, amount we made divided by the time in months that we invested to it would be a very high sort of multiple. So that was a big incentive for us to, to sell. I think at this point as well, we kind of were at this point in the site where it was like double down or sell, you know, like we, we were above the small sites, but we were below the big guys. And that was the time where you just had, there was a forking decision where you go one side or the other, but keeping doing what you do, it's like, it's like, I'm, I'm not sure how, how sustainable the growth was because it was so fast, actually. I, th- I think as well that because we, we did invest quite a bit in the site, I think 50K or something, and we made about 100K profit in the time it was running from income. So that's, you know, $50,000 profit. We hadn't realized that much gain, but the value of the site had increased really quite a lot in such a short space of time as well. So that kind of compounded those two factors compounded together to make it just a really worthwhile time to sell, essentially. Third thing I would say is that I felt like we could do better. We started the site in summer of 2017, and by the end of last year, the way we developed sites and our approach to niche research, to content creation, to site setup, to link building has really evolved quite significantly to the point where I think if we're doing it again, we would probably be able to achieve that in, in a shorter space of time even still. Yeah, probably. And there would still be the sandbox, et cetera, but like, yeah, probably eight, nine, nine months, I would say maybe. It felt to us that we, I, I don't know if it would be quite that, but it felt to us that we could, it wouldn't be difficult to do something like this in a different niche again quite easily. And lo and behold, that's exactly what we're we're doing right now. We also felt that in order to do a lot of the big changes, so move away from Thrive Architect and fix a bunch of stuff which wasn't really optimal on the site from a technical perspective, would be quite a big restructure product project and a lot of redesign work would be needed. And that would be another big investment in time and money at that point. So if we were going to sell it, we could either do it before we did that or do that and then wait a while and realize the gains. So that was another time pressure on it. And finally, as well, we really wanted to have a good case study for you guys where we had actually like followed our own training, started from the beginning and grew an authority site and and sold it. And hopefully this podcast and the accompanying blog posts and all the other content will eventually produce around it is uh is gonna do that for you guys yeah all the facts we share about this they're also validated by fe international the seller so we're not just making this stuff up because i I know some people could do this in this industry the broker we're the seller (laughs) yeah okay the the broker but like i just want to say like all these stats etc they're actually theirs based on the the document they've made and we'll talk about the seller after but like everything that is shared in scarcity has actually been checked by a third party that is a reputable broker that would not put their reputation on the line for us making up this number and saying they verified it. So there is quotes about all of them on the blog post, etc. They checked everything. And so just to make sure like this case is as clean as we could make it and we try to be as transparent as we can about this. Obviously, there's parts we can share because, well, it's out of respect for the new owner that would create a lot of competition if we shared exactly what the niche is, etc. But like all the numbers, they're like as clean as possible, verified by lawyers, etc. So let's talk about getting ready for the sale, basically. There are several things which is super important when you're going to sell your site. And it helps if you do this from day one. 
most people will not. So when you're getting ready to sell, it's worth getting your house in order, basically. The main thing is that your finances are very clean. So the transactions, at least for all of your income, need to be clearly separated from other sites. So if let's say you have two Amazon Associates sites and one Amazon account, if it's all just lumped in together, it can be very difficult come sales process time to identify which part of the income came from which site. So in that case, you would ideally want to set up a, a tracking ID or, or, or something like that. For our situation, we didn't have to worry about that because all the affiliate accounts were isolated and were only being used on, on this account. As we said before, we weren't using Amazon. It was it was other affiliate programs that we were, we were in, involved in in this one. So we had it clearly separated out. We had created, as we were going through the site like the evolution of it and we had a profit and loss which account we had a profit and loss sheet which we updated every month so it was very easy for us to provide this information to the broker i created as well a key information document which is just really a quick overview of high level overview of the key dates the key facts key numbers as we grew the site more than anything for our own purposes so we could get all our facts straight. I know that sounds like we're making something up or something, but actually remembering, I mean, Gail and I run several sites and remembering exactly which order we did things in, it gets a bit hazy after a while. Maybe we're just getting a bit bit old and the, the memory starts to go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it's important to do that. And finally, all our SOPs. So we created standard operating procedure documentation for almost every process around content and link building that we we had in the business. And that just really helped the buyer to be more comfortable knowing that all of those things were documented and in place. And it also uh, minimized the work we had to do eventually during the, the transition. So having acquired all of that, having got all that stuff in order, we then had to choose a way of selling we decided to use a broker quite early on. Uh, and there are several reasons for that. First and foremost, and the most important one is brokers know a lot of buyers. They were able to find us a buyer very, very quickly. It, it didn't get involved. It, it did not end up being a long drawn out process. They were able to find, yeah, surprisingly quick. They were able to si- find several interested parties very, very quickly. And we, we sort of proceeded from there. I think had we been doing it ourselves, it would have taken us like really a lot longer. I don't know. That if, we, if we emailed the list, I think we could have found a buyer maybe, but that would have drawn a lot of attention to this site and not for guaranteed sales. So yeah. not worth it. The thing with brokers is their incentive is to get the deal done. They only get paid a commission when the deal is complete. So they really helped in several stages of the process to really like move us past things. And they like negotiated uh, when we're talking about things like pricing and the transition period and, and all that stuff. They were there to basically make everything come together and make everything happen. So I was really, really quite happy with that. And also, it's just a lot easier. We're running several other sites. This was actually over the Christmas holidays when we were we were both away on trips. So just having someone to manage the whole process and avoid you making any horrendous mistakes was, was I think, quite nice. The process we used for, for deciding on a broker or for working with a broker was basically we went with several options. We, we contacted several brokers out there and we gave them our, our details, what we had done, the numbers, 
we told them the site and kind of what we were what we're looking for, what we're looking to get money wise from it. They all have their own individual processes and they they vary slightly, but in general, they'll come back to you with a kind of rough valuation range. And if you agree, which we did with one of them, you then move into a more formal process where you're sharing the exact financials and all the screenshots of transactions and bank account histories and, and all that kind of stuff. And they'll come up with like a proper final valuation. I just want to say the valuations we got from brokers were widely different. Yeah. Like from sim- like literally some of them were like half of what others were. So if you're selling a site, it's worth getting multiple valuations just to get an idea of like what brokers think they can get. It doesn't mean they will get it. Some people might overbid to get your business and then not sell it for six months. In our case, that wasn't the case. Though. I, th- I think with us, we knew the site was worth quite a lot because the growth trend was really there. And we had built it relatively well, I think, compared to your average site, compared to your average site, which someone buys or sells through, through a broker, I would say we were, we were a little bit better. When we had some not so good valuations, we, we sort of pushed back on that and Definitely, yeah, shopping around helped. We ended up, as we said earlier, with FE International, which is one of the biggest brokers in, in this space, for sure, if not the biggest. I'm not quite sure. Let's not get started. They all fight to say they're the biggest. So, yeah. Yeah. We, this is the second business we sold. So we sold our, our agency business in 2015, sorry, 2015, I think it was. And we used a much smaller broker at the time. The process was similar, I would say. With a bigger company, there's more people involved and generally there's a bit more hand-holding and stuff, which was which was kind of nice, especially as it was over the holidays, as I said. Once the broker had come up with the final valuation, they produced a prospectus, which had all the key information, financials. It's, it's a very nice sort of PDF report that they, they put together. They then put that out to their preferred buyers, that which they had identified for this site. I believe that's some kind of a niche specific list mixed in with just people they they know as i understand a lot of the brokerage business is down to personal relationships and repeat business so whatever they were doing we got quite a lot of initial interest from from several buyers including a few early offers we had several i had several phone calls with people where just would spend like half an hour an hour answering questions and and all that kind of stuff very quickly, early on, we had a good offer, which was actually a little bit above the asking price, which is not super common, actually, to have a, an above asking price Most offer. people sell under, yeah. Yeah. In general, it goes for just a little bit under the asking price. But for the reasons we mentioned before, we were kind of expecting this to, to an extent, I think. So we got that, that in. Yeah. And then as we were doing that, the next round of kind of sending the prospectus out, which which Effie did, was actually going on at the same time. So more buyers started coming in, and one of them basically outbid this other person. We had a little bidding war almost. Yeah. We sold like quite a bit higher than the asking price initially, actually. Yeah, yeah. So we were we were quite happy with the the final number which we, we got and that was finally accepted. We entered into what's called due diligence process. That's basically where the buyer and the seller more or less agree to proceed. That you set a deadline for for this process, usually a few days at most a week, and then after that, they basically verify all of the documentation and the numbers. The numbers are the key thing. So 
does a site make as much money as you said said it does? You share your analytics, search console, affiliate accounts, all that. They log in and check them all, and basically verify that the site is is as you said it was in the in the prospectus. And ours was fortunately. There are always a few questions you have come up at this process. So we were doing a lot of calls late at night and early in the mornings. I was I was actually on holiday at Egypt. You on, were. I was just. Doing other on my way to New Zealand at the time, which has a big time difference from Budapest, where we're at the moment. So it was a little bit tricky, I guess, to handle all of that. But I don't know. It was, it was kind of exciting at the same time because we were. It was. It's like a big deal, you know. It was fun to work on, though quite stressful at times. Anyway, we went through the due, due diligence process, no problem. We answered all the questions. Good tip here is. During the due diligence, make sure you really go overboard with your answers and you address every question, every concern that the buyer may have because they can always pull out if they're not satisfied with what they see. And you want to avoid that as much as possible. So we really put a lot of effort into to making sure that went smoothly. And we even got agreement from them at that point that it would be okay for us to produce anonymized blog post about it on, on Authority Hacker. So which is why it's coming out like the buyer knows basically it's not we're not just like selling a site and just like oh my god like no they've actually approved the copy of it etc yeah so that was one of the conditions of the sale they had to to check the the blog post and all that and we did that so finally we reached the final agreement process which was a big long contract which some lawyers drew up we signed it electronically which was really nice considering i was traveling at the time there was a few things in there, like a non-compete clause, which is very standard. So for two years, we're not allowed to start another site in the, the same niche. Not a problem. Had no intention of doing that. After that was all signed and sealed, then the escrow process begins. We used escrow.com, which is, I think, one of the biggest, if not the biggest escrow service for this kind of transaction. How it works is... I guess it's their name, right? It's yeah. Like they, they invented this, no? No, no, no. They didn't invent the word escrow, uh-huh. no. So, right. Well, they were going to be doing So how it works is the buyer and the seller enter into a, a contract on escrow.com, uh, and that's based around the domain name. The buyer then transfers the full amount to escrow.com to their bank account, and they hold it. So nobody has access to it but the escrow company at this time. Then they let us know, the seller, when they have secured the money in escrow. And then we transfer the domain from us to the buyer. Once that's complete, and we at the same time, we were actually transferring the hosting accounts, all the affiliate accounts, the team. We had the a domain. The, yeah, I mean, the domain was 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 the main thing that was being being trans, transferred for, for escrow. But we, were, we also ended up transferring the team, provided a bunch of training, and basically executed almost the entire handover process at that stage. Then we let escrow.com know that we had transferred all this and they then asked the buyer, has this been transferred? The buyer agreed and then the money gets released. So that was that was kind of the process. The whole thing, to, it, it took maybe two and a half weeks, I think three weeks to, to get the money and the entire handover process because there was a few things beyond that took maybe three weeks or so more. 
I think because we had such good documentation, we didn't have to do that much in the way of buyer support and that in training or calls or anything. I know you did a couple calls with them talking about how to use Thrive Architect. Tech. Yeah. Yeah. Tech we had a Skype chat going where we we're just chat we'd just answer, you know, the odd questions that came came over here. But in general, it was it was a fairly painless process, fairly easy and yeah, I think went pretty good overall. I, I definitely think having sold a business previously that that helped us to know what to expect here and there, there were still one or two kind of worrying moments when we we thought we'd forgotten something or we we couldn't figure out where some money was there was some issue with a payment which we hadn't actually received from one of the affiliates one month so we had to go chase that yeah that's when you check like when you check all this stuff you realize like oh everything you've been missing yeah yeah it's quite it's quite funny we did a podcast a couple years ago about why you should treat your business like you're preparing to sell it because sorting out all these things and making sure all the payments are in the right place and you are actually getting paid and everything's you know, above board is just a good practice when you're running a, an authority site anyway, because you always find you're missing stuff. I did an authority hacker for like affiliate commissions because we promote just random tools, but really we don't follow up. Like if they pay us, they pay us. If they don't, they don't. And literally just doing that, like for one morning, I claimed like mid four figures, just running after all this stuff and checking all the different individual affiliate programs. I guess one of the issues when you don't do Amazon, you just like you're signed up for like a hundred affiliate programs and you don't really follow up on all the ones where you make tiny sales, etc. But over time they add up and you log in all these old accounts and you just find money every time and it's kind of like, even if yeah. you are just doing Amazon, it's worth checking that the amount of money you're receiving from Amazon is the same as the amount of affiliate commissions you're earning because I know a lot of people have not properly filled in the tax questionnaire on the Amazon associate site. And so they're subject to a 30% withholding tax from the US government. All it, all it would take to fix that is to fill in that questionnaire. So it's worth double checking if you have a lot of money coming in from Amazon. Yep. I know some people that lost decent money from this actually. Okay. And then, yeah, this whole process, the whole transition was really fast actually. I think it lasted like eight, nine days maybe. And I said it was fairly fast and fairly easy. It was two weeks, I think, but there was quite a bit of follow-up. Not any serious amount of time, but just when the buyer takes over the site and they're working on it and they don't know why something's done this way or where to find something, they'll, they'll ask that. So we were we were supporting them, you know, just answering random questions here or there on, on Skype chat, but it really didn't take up too much. Even time. last week, uh, I had some questions on Webmasters Console stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, it's okay. I mean, they spend decent money. I'm happy to answer <laughs> a couple of questions. Certainly, it was it was a super painless process compared to many businesses I know which which sell, where particularly those with large teams or w- without too much documentation or that are very reliant on the owner. Those can have very long handover periods, like six, 12 months in some cases. So I think we got off very lightly uh, compared to that. So now that it's all said and done, how do you feel about it? Pretty good. I feel like it's a quite a big achievement. You know, the money's nice. It's it's not game changing completely by by any means. It just just kind of feels good to to lock in that success and to especially over such a short space of time. There's some kind of like minor bragging rights in there, I guess. We sold it for more than we sold our agency we worked on for four years. Yeah. And we yeah. didn't work nearly as hard. Yeah. <laughs> like this side, I was working on you know, at the end I was working on it maybe like maybe half a day per month at best. 
we had employees, right? It's like there was cost and employees, et cetera, but really running it was like super smooth and super easy. I just feel like the amount of effort I've put in and the money I took out is just like disproportional to what I would do five years ago. It's just like, it's just so much easier. I think that's the beauty just in general of authority sites. They are just such a nice business model. The return on money invested and the return on time invested is just so good compared to almost any other kind of kind of business really. I, in the end, I was literally just doing keyword research. I know, I know you were like, oh, the writers don't have keywords to write about. Like, please add 50 keywords. Yeah, I would do that once a month. And then that's it. I mean, we had all our templates. Everything was documented. It was really nice. Yeah. So, yeah, when it goes that way, authority sites are great. But as you said, nothing's forever. So it's kind of like nice to sell on the high, even if you think things are going to go higher. And this side did grow. And to be honest, it's nice that it did because... It means that the buyer, if we sell another site, is going to be very interested, you know? But, like, how do you feel about the site growing? Like, what if the site triples in the next 12 months? So, you can never predict the highs and lows in any market. It's impossible. Don't try and time the market, basically. Um, it's kind of invest, investing 101. If the site grows 10x next Tuesday, by next Tuesday, I, I might be a little bit miffed. That's not to say I would really care too much. I think overall, I, I would expect the site to grow significantly over the next few years. We've built a good base, but I know the buyer is very competent in what they do. So I think I would say the majority of the the growth would be really down to down to them. So I, I wouldn't feel too. I mean, I really hope it does work 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 very well for them because they'll be happy. We're already happy. So. Yeah. Okay. You really want to do that part of like what we did with the sure. money? What did you do with your money? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I see that in the notes. I'm like, okay, sure. Uh, it's just interesting. To, uh, I think people might be interested to know like what actually happens when you realize again like like that. Gail and I, Gail and I first of all, hookers and drugs. Like everyone knows that. <laughs> no, <laughs> just no. That's that's. Gail and I are pretty simple people. We we definitely, I mean, I don't even drink anymore. So we, we don't do crazy stuff like that. We're both pretty, I would say, sensible with, with money. When we sold our previous company, I, I did t- take a little bit of it and I had a nice five-day holiday somewhere. I spent way more than I should have in a super nice Airbnb and just like, okay, I'll enjoy myself for, for this week. This time I did nothing. Literally, I took all of the money I made from it. I put it into savings and investments. You're just jaded. I'm thinking now, like, what? How can I grow this further? Where should I invest it? That's kind of all that's that's going on in, in my mind. That's for me personally. Of course, we didn't take all the money out we made personally. We also reinvested some of it in the or kept it in the company rather, and are already starting to reinvest it in in new sites. And yeah, just sort of build up some, it's nice to build up some more um, cash buffer and stuff as well in, in the accounts. And Yeah, I see that you put pay for girls, never ending renovation. Well, first of all, for the people that follow that, that was a series that was started a year ago. It's more than a year ago, wasn't it? <laughs> a year and a couple of weeks, yeah. Yeah, I finally moved in. That's why you hear the echo because I actually am in my new place right now. And that's why I'm not holding the microphone. You know, like for the past four weeks, if you listen to a podcast, I was in an Airbnb literally holding my microphone because I didn't have a place that was not echoey and that 
well, I could put my microphone down. So I was literally just holding it for an hour talking for the So it's, it's, also, it's also interesting that the, the apartment Gail moved into last weekend, he bought it, I think, three months after we started this site, which we're talking about in the, the, this podcast today. So much better to give you, some, to build to give you some idea of context <laughs> there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, and the renovation was paid for before, thank God. But, uh, but yeah, no, I was so focused on actually moving in that I, I have no plan for this money. It's just been sitting. I think I paid for the kitchen with it, with some of the money, like a little bit. But that's it. The rest, I, I didn't figure it out yet. So so far, it's just sitting on my account. Yeah, building sites. I just want to build more sites. I mean, we've done really well in such a short time. I just want to do it more. You know. Yeah. So, what are our plans for the future then? We did a podcast about this like literally a month ago. Okay. But for those people who have not listened to that, you may want to say it again. <laughs> sure. Basically, we are building more sites, uh, as I said. And, and I like to put the money where our mouth is. So we talk about authority sites every week on this podcast and thousands of people listen. Thank you for listening, by the way. So what we're doing is we're reinvesting that money in building more sites and building them the way we, we teach people to build them. So the, this site was built mostly on what we talk about in Test 1.0. And well, a lot of the stuff that you find in the new Test 2.0 that we released in November is going to be in the new sites that we're building uh, for the next batch. So we're going to do that. We already have finished research, niche research. We finished keyword research, etc. for one of them. Our branding is underway and should be live hopefully sometime in March. Hopefully. So we're working on this. We're doing what we say. And we're also going to spend a bit more time on Atari Hacker this year. So because we were working on these other sites, it was kind of hard to juggle. So we feel like a lot of content is out of date on AtariHacker.com, etc. So we're going to spend a bit more time on that this year. Just get this business in the shape where, where we think it should be. So we're going to do more podcasts. As you can see, we haven't skipped a week for a long time now because, well, we've taken this a bit more seriously. We had a bit more time as well. The blog is coming back. I've published a post that was quite successful on uh, changing the like publish date to update date on your stuff. I have more more examples to show. I'm going to write some of these short ones. But for the blog, I was mostly focused on uh, new writers that we've hired that are actually working on updating the posts with me. So it just allows us to just get more power to get this done. And we have new courses coming out as well. One of them, the first one of them being uh, Mark's course on uh, Shotgun Skyscraper that's like we're going back to advanced courses, basically. We feel the newbie course is in a good place now. Uh, the authority system is really good, but that means that the advanced courses have been left alone for too long. So we're fixing that now. And so there should be several advanced courses coming out this year on Atari Hacker. So that's basically it for this case study, guys. Uh, that shows you that, well, this model, despite Google updates and all this crazy stuff that has been happening lately, is still alive and well if you actually put the effort in your site if you build something and, you know, if you essentially follow a lot of stuff we talk about. So uh, that's how we built and sold a site for mid six figures in 18 months. So that's it for this episode, guys. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the episodes and drop us a rating on iTunes. That always helps us getting rankings on iTunes, etc. Uh, we are also on Spotify, so if you search for us on Spotify, you can subscribe now. Thanks for listening. You can find the blog post with more data, etc., on this case study on atorihacker.com slash how to sell your business with dashes between the words. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a good week. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.